Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Robbie Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Today, we're talking to some Majority 54 listeners and their family about their political concerns as we gear up for 2022 and another election year. So first, we're going to talk with Megan, who you might remember from our Thanksgiving episode. We're going to see how her Thanksgiving with her family went. And then we've actually got Megan's mom, Liz, joining us as well. Now, if you remember, Liz is one of those coveted swing voters in the Midwest. She voted for the Democrats in the 2020 election, but she has not been a lifelong Democrat. And it sounds like Liz has been able to make some meaningful inroads with her Trump supporting husband. So we're going to talk to Liz and Megan about how they try to break through to him and what Liz is looking for politically as we head into 2022. Uh, Meg, welcome back. And I keep calling you Meg, but your name is Megan. I do that. It's a bad habit I have. No, I, I thought it was endearing. Okay. Yeah. I call her Maggie. Oh, okay. All right. There you Maggie go, Maggie. Is. Oh. Welcome, Maggie. My mom uh, is here. Welcome back, Maggie. <laughs> that voice, that voice y'all just heard is Megan's mom or Maggie's mom. For the people listening, what we're seeing on the Zoom here is is adorable. It, it's Liz and Meg, uh, you know, huddled in at the at the camera at the mic, using the same uh, pair of corded uh, earbuds, uh, you know, sharing them. So anyway, just so when people hear this, they they know what we're seeing. It paints a picture. Uh, all right. So Thanksgiving dinner, how'd it go? I would say it was like eighty percent fine, but. I did write down some really good stuff for you guys because there was okay. some really like things we we talked so much about preparing for things and then none of that actually came up. And it was so bizarre, the actual <laughs> stuff that came up. Give us some highlights. Yeah. Before you go, even let's for those who didn't listen to the episode oh. or whatever, let's review. I think we we talked with you about you wanted to prepare for like stuff about Kyle Rittenhouse, stuff about guns. What What else? Aaron Rodgers and like the vaccine controversy. Okay, so so a lot of topical stuff at that moment. So okay, so now what what what? So what went on? unfortunately, it was a lot of race, hmm. which yikes, um, and not a lot of discussion. Just a lot of like really aggressive, like one offs about race. Unfortunately, most of them came from my father. So <laughs> uh, there was a comment about how. Being proud to be white is no longer acceptable. I don't know if you heard that. That was early. There also, my uncle went off on this tangent about the Bible and how at the end of the world, apparently at the end of the Bible, there's two races and it's white people and yellow people and that it's going to be us, Russia, China, and North Korea. And then they started talking about how 
we're so indebted to China that we're all just going to become communists. There was a conversation about communism. I don't know. It got really convoluted about like creating things. And then like, and then we're all just going to be communists. I was like, whoa. Well, Maggie, when, when somebody says, (laughs) when somebody says something like the, the proud to be white thing, like, like, is that a showstopper or do people just kind of ignore it and move on? No, that was like, just like while my dad was carving the turkey. And I was like, I see. Yeah, yeah, I see. What? Yeah. And remind me, what's your what's your background other than white? Like, are, are you guys Irish? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm half Irish. Yeah. yeah. And my dad's side is um, Scottish and English and French. That's, so that's really pretty white. white. That's, really that's white. That's pretty white. Yeah. But, yeah. like, it's rare. I mean, I hadn't heard until recently. I mean, obviously, like, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, this would be more common to say proud to be white. But, like, I think, like... Correct me if I'm wrong. Like I, w- I would hear a lot more proud to be Irish. Like my family's Polish so on my mom's side. People are proud to be Polish. I feel like that's generally more benign, right? Than than white. Like I would, I would challenge somebody to be like, what is it about the whiteness that people need to be proud about? You know. So how did how Maggie how how did you react to you, either that or anything else? Like what strategy did you choose? I think I just said something like, yeah, like. There's not enough white pride in this country. We're really, really short on that. You know, something like sarcastic Mm -hmm. and just moved on Mm -hmm. because these are like drops in the bucket. Like they happen constantly. So if like I was to make a big deal out of it, like it would have blown up. Did you feel like because we kind of talked and we're going to get Liz, we're coming to you in a second. We talked a little bit about how you sort of felt like they were going to bait you. Was was there and like you you were going to have to choose what whether to take the bait. Did you feel like that's what was happening? No, I just felt like it was happening around me and they didn't care that I was there, which Uh, honestly was a little bit nicer. I just, there was a point where I was sitting in the living room and it was all of my uncles, like all my male relatives (laughs) after dinner and they were watching football. And that's when all the race stuff started coming up um, with my dad too. Um, And I just sat and took notes on my phone because I was like, I'm not going to engage in this. There's way too many white men sitting in a circle right now, but I need to at least write it down because it was very strange so okay so that brings us to one of the ways we sort of closed out our conversation with you for your our coaching of you for thanksgiving dinner was we talked about thinking of your mom like the jury like rather than trying to persuade your dad and your uncles and such that you know your mom is this person as you described her and i'm describing her now while she sits here who i think thinks of herself as switzerland right and is sort of in the middle but you felt had you had persuaded her to vote in the past for the democrats she she's the one who persuaded your dad to get vaccinated so you were going to approach this like okay i'm just going to engage these people as if the jury is my mom so liz how how did you come out of all this what are your impressions um, Thanksgiving wasn't horrible with the family. Again, I was doing a lot of the cooking. It's the more for me the day to day with her father. Yeah, she lives with him. So. And baiting is a really good word because that is what he tries to do with almost every conversation. I kind of uh, egg him on then. And I don't know if he knows I'm doing it, but I go the opposite of whatever he's saying just to get him ticked off because he's so out there. Give us an example. Yeah. Like I, I want to hear, I want to hear about this. Well, yeah. Like well, tell, him, tell him what happened last night. Last night we're, we're just <laughs> sitting together and this hardly ever happens that we just sit and, you know, together and watch TV and we were just watching, I don't know, Wheel of Fortune or something. And he started saying, do you know how much the Americans 
are in debt from last year. Do you know how much? And I said, what are you talking about? Like fully knowing what he's like. I said, are you talking about Christmas? What are you talking about? He said, no, no. In general, $3,500 this year, people are spending more this year than they did last year. And it's all because of the person you voted for. (laughs) That's how he says it. And I egg him on and go, I didn't vote for him. It was you who voted for him. You know, I never admit to him what, and for a long time, I never admitted to Meg because being Switzerland. Wait, wait, wait. You refuse to admit to your husband that you voted for Joe Biden? Oh, he knows. Oh, you just, you don't, you won't give him the satisfaction. Right. Exactly. (laughs) No. Actually, she told me she plugged her ears. Oh, yeah. At one point, he kept going on, and I was watching TV, and I kind of plugged my ears, and he goes, Did you hear me? And I said, No, I wasn't listening. (laughs) And he knows I'll do that because he's just too much. And so so he wants people to spend less money. I don't know what he yeah. wants. That doesn't even make yeah. sense. That everything in the economy is costing. Oh, like inflation. Yeah. Yes, because of the man I, I voted see. for. Yeah. It's always the man I it's voted for. It's a trap. For. We can't even. It's a trap, you know, because if, if enough people spend less, it's a, called a depression or a recession. And if they spend too much, it's inflation. So it's a clever little trap. And that's what he's hoping to yeah. get. He he loves to get the conversation going. I and I work with him too. Oh, so wow. when I get there and we sit and have lunch together, he'll start in on something and I finally have to say, Enough, I'm not doing this with you. I told you I'm not talking about this, you know, because he'll just go off on any and every subject. But you you haven't always been it from my impression from talking uh, to Maggie, like you're you're dynamic with him has not always been that you've been polar opposites politically, right? I mean, at some point you no. you made a different path and he so did you stay in the same place and he went off or did you make changes? What what happened there? Oh, it's a little bit of both. Um to me, I vote for the person. And I don't see all, you know, Republican Democrat. That's Jim is totally all Republican. And But now he's all Trump. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it totally 180'd. Yeah. It did. And I, what I want to know is, you guys tell me, what happened <laughs> to the Republicans when Trump took office? Because my husband is so out there. And anything that I say about Trump saying, how can you say that? He he said so many things. Well, prove me wrong. Yeah. Tell me, what, what did he say? What did well, he say? I don't know that we have that answer. I feel like yeah. I feel like <laughs> we're more interested in why you didn't follow him down that road. And it sounds like your daughter has a little to do with that. So for people listening to take this with them, if you can point to things that she said or, or you know, persuasive things that she brought up over the years that kind of made sure that you were that Wisconsin voter that didn't, because there's a, frankly, I mean, you could argue Wisconsin has come down to women in the suburbs who either did or did not go down that Trump path with their spouse. Yeah. You're I like- have a lot of friends that, you know, stayed in our totally with Trump. And I can't do that. I just can't because... Did I persuade you at any point? Oh, yeah. She would constantly say, Mom, you can't, you can't believe this stuff. You can't go along with this. And again, I don't want to make a big deal out of either way because I get in trouble. I get in the middle of arguments and I didn't want to do that. You know, I don't want to egg either one on. But all along, I would say, how can you, how can you go along with this, Jim? Listen to the man. He's a moron. And he, well, I shouldn't do that, but uh, that's makes, the nice no, that's face, like kind of how this goes. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um, 
it sounds like maybe one of the things that Meg did that was helpful was rather than try and engage the both of you all the time, it sounds like she at some point early on recognized, okay, dad is maybe too far gone politically, and I'm going to work mom when dad's not around. I mean, there was a lot of, I feel like, time in the buildup to 2020, especially with COVID and stuff and dad being so adamant about, I mean, he was very much on the in the camp of, like this virus was manufactured to take out Donald Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. so I think that hearing him say that, like being a reasonable person and knowing that did not happen. And in fact, we did not manufacture a disease to simply take out your candidate. I think that COVID kind of probably turned used towards some of that too. Oh yeah. COVID changed a lot of things. It did. And, you know, you try to say now Jim is like, well, Trump is the one who got the vaccine, you know, like he's taking total credit for it. The vaccine he wouldn't get. Yeah. Until we well, let's him. let's talk about that, because, Liz, you convinced your husband to get the vaccine. And there's a lot of people listening that are like, how did you do that? Well, there's a few reasons. One of our neighbors, who's a very nice person, very strong Republican. He was at the uh, January 6th insurrection, if that gives you a. <laughs> that's a yeah. good metric he, to use. Thanks. Yep. That's, that's where we're at. Yeah, he and his family. Um, oh, the family. <laughs> family the family. Oh, his daughter, his, kids, his wife. His kids, his, he has grandkids. And, and y'all yeah. are in Wisconsin. But, that's not a short trip. Mm-mm. Oh, no, he went out there. So that's where we live. So. Well, he got COVID, and um, I happened to hear it through one of my good friends who's the neighbor down at the end of the block that he had COVID, and then he was in the hospital, oh. and he was on oxygen, and he had a blood clot. And I kept telling Jim, you have got to get the vaccine because we own our own business. And I said, if you go down, it's our livelihood. The business can't Mm. run. We won't have any money. You can't do this to us. You will ruin us if you get COVID. And And Bob, the neighbor, was in the hospital for three weeks. So, well, here's what I did. On a Sunday night, I registered my husband for the vaccine at Walmart. And the next day at lunch, I said to him, I made you an appointment. You're going for the vaccine. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, yeah, you are. We're going. I made it. And he said, all right, I'm not going unless you come with me. And I was like, okay, fine. If I have to hold your hand, (laughs) I'll do that. And I did. I went with him and he got it. And afterward, he said, I'm really glad I got the shot. Thank you. And he said, but I don't want to tell anyone. Including me. Yeah. Wow. He was like, don't tell Megan I got the shot. But then he sees her two days later, and what does he do? He shows her the card with a big smile on his face. Well, he he, wanted, he wanted to make his daughter proud. Yeah. For like a moment, but then also he was <laughs> like... like, don't give him too much credit. <laughs> for like a second, because he also then said, I don't know if I'm going to get this second shot. No, no, no. He said, I'll get the second shot, but I am not getting any follow-ups. I am not. I'm not. Do you yeah. remember when he threatened... To, do you remember when he said, I won't get the shot unless you admit that Donald oh, Trump yeah. won the election? Well, that's just him egging her on, you know. He thinks he's her. funny. Well, I think what's yeah. interesting about your approach, though, and what people can take away from it is you didn't force him to to admit he was wrong about anything. You didn't uh, force him to do what a lot of, it seems a lot of men don't want to do, which is reconcile with the idea that they might they might be vulnerable to dying from it. All you did is you sort of, worked to his protective instinct. And you said, look, what if you get sick for a long period of time and you can't do the important, you know, head of household or whatever you want to call I don't know if he is, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you appealed to that stuff with the business and like appealed to like, we need you. And uh, it sounds like that worked. That's great. That, that is did. what worked. 
I have some advice on the egging on because I have some people in my life who do this. There was this technique when I was running schools we would call do not engage. And what it means is if a student is doing something to elicit a response from you, the proper way to react is to do not engage. And we mean that in an extreme sense, which means like cold, unemotional responses to things. So like if he's making a joke about something instead of rolling your eyes or whatever, not that that's necessarily what you're doing, but give him nothing. Just change the subject, pretend like it doesn't exist. And that, generally speaking, works. Oh, you don't know my husband. <laughs> Trust me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know him, but generally speaking, just the psychology of this is he's doing it because he's getting something from you. Like, for sure, he's getting something out of you that is pleasing to him. It works on me. To, I just say yeah. it works on me with, with my yeah. wife. No, he does that. That's what he does because he'll, we'll like argue and then... Or like I'll call him about something and then he'll like go into something and then at the end he's like, okay, good talk, good talk. <laughs> like not good talk. What are you talking about? So maybe just like changing the subject won't give him that like end note satisfaction of like good talk. That was really great debate. Like we didn't debate anything. You just spewed nonsense from Facebook for 25 minutes. I, I do try that. I don't like to bring out the ugly in people, and I try to tell my husband all the time, why can't you just accept people for their opinion? Let it be, you know? Respect them for what they think. You may not think that way, but just let it be. I don't, what was the, um, I don't think there was a lot the of signs on the front lawn when Trump was first You're running? right. That, that was me. That was me being petty. What did he have? He, so he, when Trump first was running for office, I was just... I was moving home from New York City and out. I was in the house for maybe four months mm -hmm. between moving out on my own in Milwaukee. And he had a big Trump sign in the lawn. And I put up a sign next to the Trump sign with an arrow that said only Jim <laughs> and pointed to it. Because I was like, uh-uh. No, 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 Smart. no, no, no. I think that was me, though. Like, I feel bad because you're not right. Petty. Like, I, that's you like, you like, look, petty. I think that's a you little different. This. That's a little different than what I was advising before because that okay. reflects on you. Like, if you're showing up to a house every single day has a Trump sign on it, like, that you have to address that publicly, you know? Thank right? you. I agree. You know, that's different. That's like, that, that's the rest of the world, not just your private conversation. I like that. Day. Only Jim. Yeah, but now I was involved because all the neighbors thought I put oh, the sign yeah. up. And again, I didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, the you don't want to you you be dragged into this one way or another. So I put up, uh, I remember the, um, who's the radio, uh, B93, the radio show. They were goofing around and they had their own um, political sign. The uh, Everybody Sucks one? No. Um, it was there, like they were running for office, and I put that up. She thinks she's she's like just trying to, as a joke. She's trying to be Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, I, just as a joke. Because then all the neighbors were like, "Oh, I love your sign, Liz," and I said, "That's Megan. That's Jim." <laughs> you know. And again, I didn't tell anyone can where I, I was going. Can I get like a little slice of life here? So I go through this with my dad. But what what does he love? Like, if you were to distill it down, what 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 does he love about Trump? You live with him. What does he love? Well, he thinks his policies were all fantastic. And well, now that Biden was one. in, <laughs> that he's destroyed everything. It's more the signaling, though, no. right? Like, So it's like the the border. He doesn't think of it as a policy, right? He thinks of it as like, this is a guy who cares about this issue, right? And oh, so yeah, it's like, about even everything. Even though he didn't really, like, what did he do, really, uh, about the wall? Like, But I see this a lot. It has nothing to do with what he actually accomplished, right? It's like the Muslim ban is, is like, they can't name exactly what, the effect of that was, but it was a statement that says this person 
is with me on this issue. Ravi, you know? I think I think your question, Ravi, is what is it in the Trump movement that your dad feels or your husband Liz feels he sees his own identity in and his own idea of himself? He loves to think of himself as a deplorable. Like he is that quintessential, he feels underrepresented, that like masculinity pull of like the the white man who was never quite good enough, right? And now Donald Trump is speaking directly to him in middle America, right? Like yeah. it's like Trump says what he feels and at, like dad loves that. Oh, he does. He does love, he loved that he would speak out and I, I hated it. I said it wasn't the role of the president to do what he was doing. Yeah, he loved that he just ran his mouth because he was like, he's saying what the rest of us are thinking. But unfortunately, when you're like doing that, driving down the street of your call to Zach, like it's just, it becomes really divisive. Like, yeah, Trump can do it on Twitter and on TV and whatever. But when it happens in your own communities, it's really toxic. It's really toxic. So yeah, it gives so. him a story in which he can live and it makes sense. It, it makes sense. It's a story that makes sense to him, a story of America and a story of, oh. him, of his experience. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's his story, you know. I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in mom, like what I you, you don't strike me as like a straight up loyal Democrat, nor should you be like, you, you, as you said, you are you're somebody who kind of calls it like you, you see you try, you try you do your best to try to evaluate the person as you look ahead to you know you have a big senate race going on and then potentially you're going to be a battleground for the presidency in all likelihood what's on your mind about those races right now to the extent there is anything on your mind about it well t- try to clear your mind of everything that you know like my husband brings up every day i really just want someone I keep telling this to my husband. I said, it's not Republican or Democrat. Bring in a decent candidate. Bring in someone that wants to work for the people for to bring people together, for one, because we're really seeing, you know, an issue with that. And and that's so much more since Trump was in office has I said, look at what's happened to the country. People are so pulled apart and it's all because of him, which he will never. So you want someone who's going to unify people. I do. I want someone that's going to unify people. And of course, you you know, you want all the financial issues and you want health care and you want everyone to be supported. But I again, I just can't. It's got to be someone well-rounded. Do you like Ron? What about Ron Johnson? What do you think about him? Oh, I don't like Ron Johnson. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. No. Yeah. But I, you know, I keep my mouth shut about that. Yeah. Because we we was, won't tell anyone, mate. Or we yeah. won't tell anyone, Liz. That's okay. Everybody <laughs> was, knows. I was joking. But... They're gonna they're gonna hear it out here. <laughs> here here here's yeah. their goal is gonna is not gonna make you necessarily like Ron Johnson more. It's gonna get you to hate the other candidate more. And so that's what you got to watch out for. There's already lots of ads that are just about getting him out of office, not necessarily in support Good. of that's not someone bad. else. Right. We like that. But we, I see those on TV. Oh, yeah, all the time. They're always saying how much his family, how much wealth his family. Yeah, made. like that he's in it for himself. Yeah. Does that influence you? Do you like actually listen to those or do you oh, not yeah. care? Oh. I listen to those. I'm you can't help but, you know, listen to them. Well, look, I think I think Ravi next next year when we have a nominee in Wisconsin, I think we're going to have to have them on with this crew and they yeah, can and, and they can just kind of talk to Liz in particular about, okay, what what have I been doing that you've liked <laughs> so they can replicate mm-hmm. it. Mm. Yeah, she's like the perfect focus group. Yeah, she really is that perfect person that they've been trying to target and that has 
maybe been a little like wishy-washy, right? Like you've gone back and forth political party-wise, candidate-wise. Yeah. We don't need yes. to call In that wishy-washy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We can yeah. respect Persuade, okay, right, persuadable. We can, we can it's respect wishy-washy. It. It's voting for respect the, the process. best person. Yeah, yeah. we're going to respect yes. the process. You're right. Yeah. We're not asking for a blood oath, you know? Yeah. No. We just want, <laughs> we want a conversation. That's all we want. Uh, That's true. Yeah. You want a conversation, you should talk to him. <laughs> no. I, look, let's do it. I'm in. I mean, I think he would come and talk, but I honestly am like, like I'm scared for like our family's yeah. honor. Like <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't want anybody getting canceled. <laughs> it's better if we don't. I'm telling you, Jim couldn't be worse than my dad. My dad thinks Trump was a, he's a, he is the reincarnation of a Hindu God coming to save us all. So Yeah, but we haven't I had your dad on the show that. either. I tried. As you know, I've tried. Yeah, it's actually, it doesn't pass our producers, uh, but I am totally don't give a fuck about like whether my dad gets out. Sorry for the language, mom. But the, like, I don't care. My dad can speak for himself. He's a grown man. Yeah. He has no sh- he, he has no shame about it, so why should I? We're going to have know? to have uh, your dad and Maggie's dad, and uh, and I'm a dad, so I'll moderate. Yeah. Um, so, all right, well, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you for doing this, both of you. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to this airing. Yeah, us too. Thank this you. is super fun. And uh, if you've got any hot Wisconsin topics coming up. Just, you know, remember us and our little slice of the world. Wisconsin correspondents for Majority 54. You've been blessed. So honored. I'm pretty sure you're our first correspondents ever. So, (laughs) congrats. Wow. What an honor. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Thank Thank you. you. This was great. If you're listening to this and any of your New Year's resolutions have to do with mental health, like they don't have to be as specific as start going to therapy or go to therapy more regularly. It could just be like take time for my mental health, whatever it is. It's kind of a check engine light that you may want to consider therapy. And one of the great ways to do that is with our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours and it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. You can find the particular expertise that you need online, and you don't have to limit yourself to the counselors that are located near you. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in stress, anger, family conflict, and more. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com m54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp help slash m54. Hi, everybody. I wanted to tell you about a show from Wonder Media Network that you're going to love. If you're a parent and you're listening to this and I say parenting during the pandemic, there's a certain set of feelings that come up in your body and in your brain. And uh, I know that for a fact because I know how you feel. That's why I think you're going to love this podcast. In season two of White Picket Fence, host and single mom Julie Kohler asks, why does it have to be this way? We hear from experts, activists, and parents as they unpack the caregiving crisis in America and reveal why the conditions were set long before COVID-19 ever hit American shores. Julie explores the myths about race, gender, families, and the economy that have gotten us to a point where so many parents, and especially mothers, are cracking. She also looks at how the pandemic can serve as a political tipping point to build political will for an alternative economic approach, one that puts caregiving at the center of our economy. It's really easy to take our current system for granted and assume that it's just meant to be this way, but this show really opened my eyes to all the biases that led to America's caregiving policies. We could be doing it better, and I can't recommend this show enough. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
And next up, we're going to talk with another listener, Ethan. Ethan owns a brewery outside of Philadelphia, and now Ethan is a lifelong Democratic voter. But recent inaction by Democrats has him considering not voting at all. So with that, let's hear from Ethan. Ethan, thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. I'm just going to start with, I find find this whole thing fascinating because you are thinking about not voting, I think at all, or, or Democratic, but you listen to this show like regularly enough that you left us a voicemail. You have got, to, you are in, if there, there's like a Venn diagram of people who are like, I don't know if I'm going to vote, but listen regularly to a political podcast and, and the two circles meet in a tiny little spot and you, you're in that spot. So tell us about that, would you? Can we start there? I got to tell you, I don't think I'm that unique. Um, I think that guys who talk about politics are, are missing a large segment of the population by assuming that that's super unique. But I'm, I'm definitely not going to vote Republican. And I think that my end result would be that I just didn't vote. Um, I'm deeply, deeply frustrated with the Democratic Party as a whole and particularly the Biden administration. My big issue being I'm a business owner. I own a small brewery out in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia. And my biggest issue is all about the um, COVID aid, especially as to do with small business. Um, We've been asked not only to make a tremendous amount of sacrifices that are especially acute for our industry, uh, but we've also been deputized, you know, against our will as the law enforcement body of all the COVID regulations. And we have gotten zero help from anybody. And it is uh, deeply frustrating. And I just don't know how I can um, justify voting for people that are uh, through what I view as negligence. Um, I mean, literally ruining my life and my colleagues' lives and uh, things like that. It's a very difficult situation. Yeah, I I talk to a lot of people in this situation. I come from Staten Island, New York, which is you know, if there's a culture of the island, it's small businesses or the sort of tie that binds everybody together. And people have been really frustrated. So perhaps we take a step back and can you walk us through just your experience from March 2020 till now where you've you interacted with government and have not gotten what you needed and maybe give us a sense of what you what would have been ideal in each of those steps? Sure. So um, what started out, you know, the the shutdowns happened. And to be clear, we're not COVID deniers at Stickman. Like we're very much, you know, concerned about everybody's safety. And and we have done our absolute best to follow any COVID policy to keep people safe. So um, in March, we were ordered to shut down very quickly uh, with some very strict regulations. Nobody knew what was going on. And then the first round of PPP was issued sometime, I believe, in the the summer of 2020. Some people were resentful of that. I thought it was distributed relatively well. We got our application in quickly. However, the restrictions on how to spend the money were very difficult. So, for example, I take all of my income from the business. uh, But under the terms of the PPP, I'm not allowed to pay myself with the money as an owner, even though I'm one of the people doing the majority of the production work. So for the first several months, uh, that $600 a week unemployment insurance did not apply to partners in an LLC. So I was not allowed to pay myself with the PPP money. And I wasn't allowed to get this unemployment help that everybody else was getting. So I was just expected to make zero income. Um, And I'm not a rich person. So that was maybe the most difficult financial time of my life. 
Then they extended the the 600 a week to uh, partners in LLC sometime in like July, I believe, or June of that year. Um, and then the second round of PPP came out around the same time as the EIDL loans. Well, and, and just to be clear, so we're still in 2020. So we're still in yes. Democratic Congress, Republican White House at right, this point. Yeah. Right, right. So the EIDL comes out. Um, and that was the thing that helped us kind of get on our feet. But to be clear, the EIDL is a interest bearing loan. Um, so I found that kind of insulting that some other more wealthy industries were just bailed out. And what we were offered at the toughest time of our business was an interest bearing loan that required payments almost immediately. So we we took the loan. That payment has proven to be difficult to make as our business has not come back. Since that point, Basically, once the Biden administration took over, there has been pretty much nothing. Um, the RRF fund, uh, the restaurant revitalization uh, fund, was the only thing that was uh, close to like storefront businesses that I'm aware of. They ran out of money before even a third of the people who applied could be funded. Less than half of restaurants in the country were even able to apply. They then expanded the amount of money you could take from the EIDL, uh, but also made the terms substantially stricter. So picking up for where Biden takes office, right? Now you've got Biden in the White House and Democratic control in Congress. And I, I take it you have Democratic leadership locally. Yeah, I mean, I live in Philadelphia. So in all the places where the brewery locations are, it's all Democratic. So what would you have liked done? Well, so I, literally anything. You know, I understand that they really wanted to pass this infrastructure bill, but I don't really see how a bill that takes place over 20 years is more pressing than this. I mean, the Restaurant Owners Association reported yesterday that 86 percent of restaurant owners in the country are facing bankruptcy and 45 percent have missed at least one month's rent. I mean, ideally, the RRF would have been replenished. You need, we needed $46 billion, I believe, or $44 billion to just meet everybody who had applied. Um, after the money ran out, we need another $44 billion. There's $100 billion of unused COVID funds sitting in the SBA account like this second. So what would I have liked to see done? Literally anything besides telling us to, um, you know, just starve. From my experience, I have been frequenting businesses as much or more once I was allowed to than other people. But I, I suspect, based on what you're saying, that when life was allowed to go back to some semblance of normal, that something still wasn't right about your your business. People are just not coming out. So a lot of people express that they're going out more frequently than they were during COVID. And some people feel like they're going out more often than not. But the thought experiment I always tell people is, if you went to a restaurant that you really like in 2019, at dinner time on a Saturday, you probably had to wait for a table. And now you're probably getting seated right away, right? People are going out and they're seeing crowds on Saturday at six o'clock, but I pay my rent on Saturday at six o'clock. I put food on my table with the sales from Wednesday at three in the afternoon. And those sales don't exist. The sales everywhere are down. I mean, just for us right now, the entire company, I have three locations and the entire company on a weekly basis is grossing a smaller amount of money that each individual location did in 2019. So you, you said something really interesting in your voicemail, which you you acknowledged. You said, look, I've heard all the you know platitudes about 
how, yeah, the Democrats are in charge, but the Republicans are making it really difficult and there's more that the Democrats want to do. And what you said was, but that doesn't matter. That's just an excuse. And I think the example you used was you said, you know, if like we're, we make beer, we get beer into bottles. And if, you know, if the beer doesn't get into the bottle, we're not interested in hearing about why it didn't get into the bottle. We're just interested in getting beer into the bottle. Yeah. So every day when I come into work today, I canned a batch of beer, right? And today there was a problem with the canning line. The reason that I am the person who's qualified to run the business is because every day I'm able to figure out how to make those things work so that the beer gets into the can so that the customer can pay for his product. A politician's job is to make important issues popular. Instead of going out and saying, this is why you should care about people and convincing them you just come up every day and whine about how hard your job is, well, then you're not very good at your job. I don't really think that like saying every good thing that's happened is because of Democrats and the Biden administration and everything that can't, every single bad thing or every single thing that can't get done is because of these mean Republicans. It doesn't really, it, it's not a reasonable argument. It's, and it wouldn't fly in any other segment of American life. Okay, so let me stick with your analogy for a second and just offer a slightly different way for you to think about it. Because I would agree with you if, if the entire argument that they were making was, we want to do these good things, but the Republicans won't let us, so therefore absolve us of responsibility. Like, I wouldn't agree with that either. But sticking with your analogy of, you know, you got you to gotta fix the canning line, you got to, you know, you got to fix the register, you got all those things. I suppose you might have at least a slightly different approach to it where you might like acknowledge that it was a more difficult task if there was literally somebody from like another brewery who every day was in there and just like trying to smash things right you wouldn't what you wouldn't do is you wouldn't be like so therefore we don't have to make beer today right which i think is your point but you would say i probably am gonna need to do something to not have all these people in here smashing this stuff right but but that's an unfair analogy too right we have competitors we have people we're up against to get beer on the shelves but they can't stop you from doing your job. I'm not suggesting that therefore you should just vote Democratic. I'm actually suggesting something different. Like you're sort of, I think, understandably, and a lot of people do this, thinking of your vote as as you're rendering a verdict on what's been done so far or offering a reward for behavior that you don't like, right? And I'm saying maybe your vote isn't that. Maybe your vote is, I, I don't think they've done a very good job, but I think that if there were more of them, there'd be a greater chance I would get what I want. I don't really agree with that. I mean, unfortunately, like I don't I mean, I understand the argument. That's the way to to make the pro case for what's going on. But I, I view if you're voting for somebody, you're you're jumping on the team with them. Right. Like the reason that I am not a big fan of a lot of Republican politicians is because they're on the team with white supremacists. Right. So, like, I don't want to be on that team, too. But like if they hadn't accomplished anything, but they were out there saying, hey, we have all this labor data, 86 percent of restaurants in the country, all these businesses that you care about are about to go bankrupt. Guys, I know it's scary out there, but think about ordering a takeout order from them instead of Chick-fil-A. You know, if they were out there promoting local businesses every day, if they were out there explaining the situation and telling consumers why the situation is bad, if they were actively trying to pass bills that were getting shut down, I wouldn't feel that way. But they're not doing that. They have not been pushing this bill forward. They have not been out there saying we care about small business. All that I've seen is when people started talking about the labor shortage, which is a very real thing that's a complex issue. All that I've seen is Democrats from the progressive wing of the party um, 
writing snarky things on Twitter about people like me treating workers poorly. And that's why the labor shortages exists. That's the closest thing I've seen to acknowledging the issues. Okay, so that was sort of my plan A to uh, to convince you to, to vote Democratic anyway. I'm going to go to my plan B, which you sort of alluded to. Before you do plan B, Jason, is there, could, do you mind if I just introduce one idea here, which is um, a lot of what you're saying resonates with me. One person I would want you to take a look at, who's kind of an unconventional Democrat, is Eric Adams. The week after he was elected mayor of New York City, he went out clubbing and was asked about it. And most politicians would apologize for it. And he was like, look, we got to get the city back to life. So I think the signaling that you're talking about, there are Democratic politicians out there who are doing, because what I'm hearing you saying is you want to hear people, like if they can't do anything, which he can, and we'll see if he does, you want them to validate your experience. And and one thing I want to I wanna suggest to you is that you know, this could be true of Republicans too, but I'm just using him as an example. There are people out there I'm seeing validating the experience and we'll see what they do about it. Yeah. And if I, if I had the ability to vote for one of those people, I would. But unfortunately, the people that I have available to vote for is not Eric Adams. There is one one Senate candidate, John Fetterman, that I, I would um, probably be excited to vote for, but he'd probably be the only guy I'd put on the ticket. Well, that's good news, Jason. Yeah. Okay. So we already know you're going to show up to vote for Fetterman. That's good. And then the question is, how do we get you to, you know, vote the rest of the ballot? Let me ask you this. You you were saying that, you know, you've typically been like more of a liberal. For instance, you just said, like, you can't get down with the Republicans because of white supremacy. I assume that you would, you know, within that, like, talk about the uh, voter suppression. Like, I imagine that's an, an issue that you've tracked closely. Look, I guess my argument to you would be that all of us, when we ask people to vote on issues like white supremacy or voter suppression or, uh, you know, any of those issues that make us liberals, right? What we're asking people to do often is to vote on issues despite the fact that they don't directly affect them. So while your experience is, I think, absolutely should be aired, and that's, you know, what we're doing here, but I would ask you to consider between now and the election whether or not, despite your legitimate grievance with the Democrats, whether you still feel that you have to go vote because these other issues are even bigger than your business. If I saw action from Congress or the Biden administration that made me genuinely believe they were doing something other than lip service towards some of these issues, then I would consider voting for them. It's the same kind of thing. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, on a lot of these issues, things that are really, you know, important to me, like, Immigration. I mean, we saw what happened with Haitian migrants under an ICE director that was supported by Biden. I mean, you know, criminal justice reform and drug laws. Biden made a lot of promises and has made zero attempts to fulfill those promises. It doesn't seem like he's has much intention to voting rights as well. Like they had H.R. 1 right when the Congress started under the Biden administration. And then we went to do this infrastructure bill to prove that the Democrats are better than the Trump administration. Like between now and the election, if people are taking meaningful actions on these issues, I'm certainly willing to reconsider my position. You know, one question to you is like, so some of the things you mentioned Pretend for a second, because you've got this this mansion cinema thing, which is hard to figure out in the Senate, right? It's like you could have 48 totally well-intentioned people on voting rights, but you've got two people who are holding up the whole thing. And so theoretically, more of those 48 would get you a lot of what you're talking about. But let's put that aside for a second. Let's talk about executive action. So if, you know, January 31st, the moratorium on student loans debt payments is over, right? So- at the moment, Biden has extended that moratorium, so that's theoretically a good thing. But let's say if in January he announces through executive action 
which he may have the power to do, that he's forgiving certain chunk of student loan debt, let's say what his promise was, which was $10,000, which would, would completely wipe out the student loan debt of millions and millions of people. Would that like start to get you back on, on track here? Absolutely. Yeah. If he vacated some of the nonviolent drug offenses that he promised to do that, you know, these people, the entire society has acknowledged that these people shouldn't be in jail. And yet they're languishing in jail because Biden can't tell one of his many legal aides to draft an executive order for it. Like it's there's a million things that the Biden administration has the power to do that were they to do it would change my mind about them that they don't seem to have any intention to uh, to work on. Interestingly, it also sounds like if they were to like fire the parliamentarian and just decide that they could go around the filibuster without Mansion or Cinema, that would also get you back in the voting booth. I don't know. I don't know if that would. I mean, I want the meaningful action, but I want it to, like Republicans being awful only works for me as an excuse for so far. So like I'm not a big fan of the filibuster as a general concept, but I don't think that just like blowing up all the Senate rules so that one party can just throw everything out every two years when things change, you know? Yeah, but but you see the catch-22 they're in, right? Because you're saying don't blame it on Mansion and Cinema, but you're also saying don't do the thing that gets them around Mansion and Cinema. Go find two Republicans who are reasonable to vote for. Some, like, I, I, you know, that they're trying to do. No, they have. Yeah. They have 10. They have um, they have 10 Republicans and every Democrat on board for the small business bill and they haven't bought it to the floor and Biden hasn't said anything about it. So, like, it's not always the problem. On voting rights, for example, I mean, they they have gotten past 50 on that. They just mm -hmm. the filibuster is the issue. I mean, they, they, they've publicly announced the, the numbers past 50 on that. Yeah. If they got rid of the filibuster and did a bunch of this stuff, then yeah, it would change my mind dramatically. But it doesn't, I guess it's unfair to blame the whole Democratic Party on Manchin and Cinema. But again, it's like, if you're, if you're playing a team sport, you're judged by all everybody on your team. Yeah. All right. Well, this is going to be fun. Uh, I think we may be checking back with you. Because yes. uh, let's see, you know, it's what we're in. It's December. We got 11 months to see what happens here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you guys about it. Well, let's plug your business. Tell us about your business before you go. Sure. So uh, my business is Stickman Brews. Uh, we're based uh, primarily in Royersford, Pennsylvania. We're a small brewery uh, focusing on like lagers, farmhouse beer and hoppy stuff. We also have a restaurant in Chester Springs and a can shop in South Philly. You can find us online at Stickman Brews in like every format. And we also have uh, False Bottom Spirits where we do locally made vodka and gin. And could we order that anywhere in the country or have we got to be in PA to get your stuff? PA, Delaware, New Jersey. Okay, sweet. Thanks All for right. doing this. Well, we really appreciate it, Ethan. Thanks for engaging. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, Jason, two very different conversations. I feel hopeful after one and, and determined after another. How about you? Yeah, same. Um, I just really like uh, Meg and Liz. Um, and I, I just think it's really interesting how like uh, thoughtful Liz is about how she's arrived at her own views, right? Like, yeah. like here she is, this swing voter who probably doesn't engage that closely. In fact, it seems that she sort of tries to not engage. Doesn't, yeah, yeah, but is yeah. but is like really aware of it. And I and I think that that's way more common than we probably usually recognize. Yeah, and it's it's a choice. Like I think some people think of people who don't engage as lazy or something, but but I think for her it's it's almost like a an act of discipline and and the management of her life so she can get through these moments with mm -hmm. her husband and her community to say I pick my spots. And so 
I found that super fascinating and it and I hope there are a lot more people out there like her because I think if there are, we have an opportunity. And this is what Democrats like it's not about and this is why I kept interjecting to say we're not expecting you to vote. It's like I'm not expecting it for a blood oath. I, I just want us to have an opportunity and then we have to be the best version of ourselves, you know. And I think what's it fascinating is we have to be the best version of ourselves and the other side, you know, they, for one reason or another can be the worst version of themselves and still be, be within striking distance every single time, you know? It's wild. I guess my my feeling with Ethan is uh, I'm going to be really interested to stay in touch with him and hear how things develop for him. I thought you did a great job of like giving him a couple of things that he, he sort of committed to like, well, yeah, if, if that happens, that would be persuasive to me about um, voting again for, uh, for Biden or, or for the Democrats in the midterms. But also uh, I'll be interested to see how he sort of takes in the other issues that don't directly affect him uh, over right. the next several months. Yeah, the thing I keep preaching to myself here is patience, right? Like we got, we've got a while to go before this election happens in Pennsylvania for Ethan. And then even if we don't get him where we need to get him, we've got the presidential. And obviously we want to get him there before the Senate race because that's so important. But, you know, he's frustrated. And I think like, like he has really important things to say about his experience. And I think that's what this is about is like hearing that out and, and saying, what can we do better? Because none of this is static, right? If we learn, which I learned a lot about how the small businesses continue to struggle, then we should do something about that, you know? And then that's all we could do. And then he could assess whether it's enough. Thanks, everybody, for listening to these conversations. We hope you got something out of them. I know we really enjoyed doing them. We'd love to do this sort of thing, you know, on a continual basis. We'd love to do this occasionally. If you think you'd be a good candidate for these kind of conversations, leave us a voicemail, 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.